Alright, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. We're going to cover the whole chapter here. And this is, like I mentioned earlier, the third and kind of final discussion about the special issue of Israel. Um, And just to kind of help you catch up just a little bit, uh, Paul asked the question at the beginning of chapter 9, what about Israel? If God is on the move, he's saving souls, um, and and, and everything seems to be like marching forward, why isn't Israel being saved? Because primarily the people that were being saved during those days were the, the, the Gentiles, the people not of Israel. Why is it that Israel is not being saved? And so He talks about, in chapter 9, Israel's not being saved at that particular time because it was part of God's plan. God was working towards an end, and that end was that the Gentiles could be saved, and so it was almost as if God had chosen not to save Israel. Well, before you get carried away with, wait a minute, why would God choose not to save his own chosen people? You look at chapter 10, and in Romans chapter 10, basically, Paul says that Israel wasn't being saved because they weren't choosing to be saved. They weren't following after the gospel. They were still trying to work their way to salvation instead of accept Jesus on faith. And so that was why they weren't being saved. And so God chose for this particular time for them not to be saved, but they were also choosing themselves not to be saved. And so what do we have in chapter 11? We have how Israel is going to be saved, how everything is going to come together. And ultimately, we're going to see that God's plan was so much greater and so much far-reaching than, than maybe even what we imagine. You know, throughout this letter, God's made it clear that God has a great purpose and he's working out that plan. Um, he's described, or Paul has described God's role of divine predestination, but he's also insisted on human responsibility. Uh, and, and, and this is real important, that, that we understand that yes, God has a plan, that God makes choices, but humans are responsible for doing what, what God has led us and taught us to do. And so no one can say, I'm not saved because God didn't save me. But at the same time, we have to understand that if we are saved, God made a choice and, show, and decided to demonstrate grace in our lives. So it still all belongs to God. We didn't earn our salvation by believing in Jesus. It is faith that has saved us, that, that comes as, as a measure of grace, not as a measure, measure of indebtedness. You don't believe in God and then all of a sudden He owes you. He doesn't owe you salvation. When we believe in God, we're trusting and hoping that He will save us, and He does. So it is His choice, but it is also our responsibility. So both of those elements come into play as we discuss this kind of this final thing of the, 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 the special situation of Israel. And so to finish up the questions concerning Israel's salvation, Paul discusses the remnant, which we'll talk about that, grafting, and the mystery of salvation. So he kind of plays all of those out to kind of finish up this conversation. So in this chapter, Paul helps us to understand how the Jews and Gentiles fit together in God's plan of salvation. And one really important idea that we have to remember no matter what, God will always or always fulfills his promises, and he is not finished with Israel yet. Romans chapter 11 is clear. God's not finished with Israel as a people yet, so we have to remember that. Okay, so the sermon in the sentence is this. God's plans never fail. He has found a way to save everyone who belongs to him. And so we're going to read this passage. Uh, It it is a little lengthy, but afterwards we'll break it up into a couple of easy-to-handle bites and we'll move on with our day. Let's start. Paul says in Romans chapter 11, verse 1, I ask then... Has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. 
God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I am speaking to you Gentiles, Inasmuch then as I am an apostle uh, and an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered is, as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you. Provided you continue in kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards, to the, or as regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. 
For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but have now received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may, receive, may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. All right, so let's look first at this holy remnant. Those that, are, that remain faithful to God no matter the time, no matter the circumstances. So, you know, based on some of the things that Paul said in, in the last two chapters, so chapter 9, God cho chose for the people of Israel to reject Jesus. Chapter 10, the people chose to reject Jesus. You might think that God is finished with Israel based on that, uh, but that's not the case. In fact, that couldn't be further from the truth. Paul says, I'm an Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin, and I am saved, and I am still working to get others saved. Um, it would be outside of God's character completely uh, to reject those that he had originally chosen. Um, so that's an important thing. We have to remember God's character in this. God chose Israel, so he's not going to go around you know, at a different time and reject them. They are still part of his plan. So to explain this, Paul uses the example of Elijah's prayer. There was a certain time when Elijah felt like he was the only prophet left alive. And as you're reading the story in the original context, it kind of seems like he's the only prophet alive for a little while. But God tells him and answers his prayer, no, there are still 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal, meaning they had not fallen into idolatry, which was the sin of the day. And so that's an important thing for Elijah to know that there are people that are still being faithful even in this dark time. And that's something that we need to remember. Even when things seem hopeless, Paul reminds us that they are never, or they never are with God. So in Paul's day, God was still saving a remnant of the Jews. Um, they were the ones that were going to represent the holy nation. It wasn't all of them. It wasn't a majority of them. There were just some Jews that were being saved during that time. Now, we know this to be true, but we also know that the Gentile church grew much more rapidly than the Jewish church. The remnant, these people that are being saved or were being saved at that time, they were being saved by grace. Remember, it, for the Jews, one of the major problems was that they had received the law, they had received all of these works that they're supposed to do for, for righteousness and for worship, and so that was how they wanted to live their lives. And when God comes along with Jesus and says, except by faith and you will be saved, they couldn't quite grasp that. They couldn't quite comprehend how after all of this time of working, they were now supposed to take Jesus on faith and accept that they were saved. And, but there was only a few, and those that were, were saved by faith. And we know that the, 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 the works thing was a stumbling block for the Jews. The elect have obtained salvation, but the ones who were already stubborn, that's what we see here is that they were further stubborn or made more stubborn by God himself. 
Um, So Paul uses this collection of Old Testament verses from basically verse 8 through verse 10. Um, He uses at least three different passages in the Old Testament to explain that God's kind of always done this. When people are being stubborn and hard-headed anyway, he just kind of continues to to, to block what they might would understand and what they might would see. And so there are times when God does close eyes, when God does close ears, and he does darken minds. There are times that he does that, but it is according to his plan and his purpose. Now you might say, well, how is that ever good? Well, give me a minute and I'll actually show you how that is good. So, one thing that I think is important for us to remember, God resists prideful people and those who believe they are self-sufficient. God always resists prideful people, and especially those who think they can make it on their own. We need to be aware that we cannot make it on our own. The strength that we think we have is the grace of God. The things that we think we're able to do are all gifts of God. We need to be aware that it is God enabling us to do what we do. It is not under our own power. We can't do these things on our own. So because of the state of the hearts of the Jewish people at that time, they were not able to hear God's message. They just couldn't hear it. It was because, and and, and it says here, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, and ears that would not hear, uh, down to this very day. That was what was going on, is that, yes, they had chosen not to listen. They had chosen to be stubborn and hard-hearted, and God helped them with their choice. And so that's what we have to understand there. So it's also important for us to recognize that this state of judgment was only temporary, Uh, for God's people because this stumbling block was meant to be a retribution. In other words, they were going to stumble to learn a lesson, to grow, to become different. So their eyes would not always be darkened. Um, They would eventually hear the message of God. So Israel has slumbered for a while, but their day of awakening is coming. That's what the message is here, is that there was this time where they were darkened. They weren't listening, they weren't hearing God, but that day is coming. Now, I believe I shared a few weeks ago um, that I I had a professor in college that said there are now alive more Jewish people who are believers than there have been Jewish believers at any other throughout the past combined, meaning that there are more Jewish Christians alive today than there are Jewish people who died as Christians ever. What that means is that more and more people from, from the Jewish race are coming to know Jesus as their Messiah. And this is very important. This is key because what Paul's going to say is that there is a time for the Gentiles and then God is going to restore Israel. And if you understand the timeline, that means that as more and more Jews begin to recognize who Jesus really is, that gets us closer and closer to the return of Jesus. This is really good news. If you look at the world today, what we see is not sustainable. The darkness that you see, the, the, the pain and the suffering that you see, none of this is sustainable, sustainable for a long period of time. Why do we see suicide numbers skyrocketing? Why do we see so many strange things happening among younger and younger generations, all kinds of terrible things happening? They have lost hope. They have given up. We need to remember that that trumpet is going to sound sooner rather than later We have to hang on and continue to proclaim the message until it happens. Now, at this present day, it may seem that most people have submitted to the ways of the world. If you do pay attention to what's going on, you know that it is getting different. It is getting bad out there. Based on what we uh, see here in this passage, we can trust that God still has a faithful remnant of people who are preaching the true gospel. 
Now, you might hear me say, you will hear me say, and you've probably heard other people say, there are churches that no longer proclaim the true gospel. But let me tell you that just as God maintained a remnant among the Israelites during Paul's day, I believe that he will always maintain a remnant among any of his people. And what that means is that there are churches out there proclaiming the truth of the gospel. There are believing Christians who are out there every day trying to share the gospel, both with their lives and with the things that they say. That is still happening. I believe that, and I know it to be true because that is what God has always done. That is the way that He has worked, and so He will continue to do that. So there are people out there that are in church positions, in leadership positions, Christian positions, that are making partnerships with the world. They are, they are going along with the ways of the world rather than the, with the ways of God. But there is a remnant. There are people who are still staying faithful. And that is not because of my faith in people and churches and, and preachers and Christians. That's because of my faith in God. That I believe that he will always have that remnant. He will always have those people who are faithfully and, and honestly serving him. So that's the remnant. Now let's look about this grafted thing. The people that are grafted in. Um, so throughout this whole argument, Paul's been arguing that a, a remnant of Israel will be saved. And we may ask, what about the sinning majority? What about the people that aren't a part of this remnant? They were still born as Israelites. They were still descended from Abraham. What about them? What are them? Are they lost forever? Um, and, and Paul gives a very emphatic no to that. He says there will be a plan for all of Israel. Israel has indeed stumbled. But their stumbling will not be permanent. It will not be final. God actually uses this stumbling of Israel to bring the Gentiles to salvation. That is where we begin to see God's plan. God knew that Israel would stumble over salvation by faith through grace. They would stumble over Jesus being the kind of Messiah he was. And God was prepared to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. This is where his plan begins to be revealed. So, and then in the end, the Jews will be brought back to God. Because God never forgets about his people. Uh, Paul is optimistic. Uh, and, and, and even though it seems like Israel is kind of, has turned away from God, um, and, and, and that's the thing is from Paul's perspective, he sees Christianity as the natural progression from Judaism. He sees that Jesus has kind of fulfilled the promise, not kind of, he has fulfilled the promises of God, and so this is the way we go. We were following just the law and the rituals, but now we're following Jesus. So, so Paul didn't see a division between Judaism and Christianity. He saw Christianity as the natural fulfillment, the completion of Judaism. And so for him, when the Jews maintain Judaism, maintain that way, and, and, and other people are going towards Christianity, he sees that they have turned their backs. Not that Christianity has taken it and ran with it, but the Jews have turned their backs on God. That's what he sees. But he says, this is not permanent. This will not last. In the end, they will turn back. And it's not because of them. It's not because throughout all the Old Testament, the Israelites have proved to be very faithful people and they never turn their backs on God. No, that's not at all what the narrative of the Old Testament says and that's not what Paul's believing. He's believing that God is faithful. God will bring them back. God chose them, God gave them a special blessing, and he will continue to do that. So Israel did not stumble over a stumbling block so that they would all perish, but instead that their stumble brought about a wonderful consequence. So the reluctance of Israel opened the door for salvation for the Gentiles. 
I'm going to try not to make too much of this, but this, it really is a big deal. So Paul says even when the Gentiles are saved, it makes Israel jealous. And I can actually tell you, I believe that to be true. Uh, when we did get to go over to Israel, we actually had some conversations toward that end with Jewish people um, because we, we claim what they believe is their God. And, and you know, ha- had some of those questions about how does that make you feel? And, and it's true, it does spark a jealousy because they are God's people, but yet we call on his name. And so why is that? Well, it does spark a jealousy. And Paul was right all those, you know, 2,000 years ago, he's writing this and he's saying it's going to make them jealous. It's going to make them want to be back with God, and God has determined the way that, that he, people will come back. So here's what I want to do. So think about this. The Jews rejected Jesus, and so that opened the door for Gentiles to become Christians. And what we know is that many, many Gentile nations came under the influence of Christianity, Rome itself eventually adopted Christianity as its national religion. And, and we know that Rome, as it broke up, it had influence and it had um, an impact in, in the forming and the policy writing and all kinds of things of many, many nations, most of them European, but many, many nations. Okay, so think about the depravity that we've seen from nations that did not have that Christian influence. So in the West, there was a lot of Christian influence. And in that, there, there were some terrible things that happened, but there were some things that, that we might would say would be a little bit worse. And so we'll stick with things that would be within, within our collective memory. So we know how POWs were treated uh, in World War II, specifically by the, by the uh, Japanese. We know how POWs were treated by the Vietnamese. It was beyond human comprehension. The conditions and the treatment and the brutality that was, that was just poured out on these, these people that had served their country. They were fighting in, you know, in good faith from one country to another. There are, were already rules of war, but those rules of war were being wrecked by these countries. Now, these countries had not had Christian influence until the modern missionary movement, so they hadn't had a tremendous amount. Both of these countries, um, bo- both, both Vietnam and Japan had pretty much resisted missionary work in the past, and so they weren't Christian nations. They had not had those kinds of ideals, you know, basically built into their society, and it was, it was pretty awful. So you look at a different place. We, we look at the Middle East, and we, and we look specifically as, at the Islamic extremists and the way that they treat their prisoners. Now, I think they have learned the value of a dollar, and that changes things for them, but we watch them cut people's heads off on the news. We watch them treat people in the most horrible ways, and, and let me tell you, they have not had the same Christian influence that maybe some countries in the West have had. You have to understand that the ideas that we have in America, the ideas that we have of, of peace and freedom and justice and those kinds of things came from people who were exploring biblical ideas. I'm not going to say that they were written by Christian people because when you get with a philosopher, who even knows? But what I will say is that they had biblical ideas bouncing around in their heads when they started talking about the things that became republics and democracies that that spread across Europe and made it over here to America. And so when we think about things that that we say these are are rights, these are are general expectations, they weren't always, and it does come from the door of salvation opening up to Gentiles. Because if that doesn't happen, 
these things like the way that POWs were treated, the beheadings, we could, we could go on to the civil wars that have raged in some of these unchristian countries for years and years. Those would be our lot in life. There, there's, there's no reason to believe that America would have developed as a free, peace-loving, you know, d- democracy, capitalistic society. There's no way to believe that we would have become that were it not for the influence of the gospel. And so you have to understand, peace, justice, freedom are only a few of the riches that the entire Gentile world received because of Israel's stumbling. Even Gentiles who have never heard the name of Jesus depend on and sometimes demand those rights that definitely come from Christian tradition. And you have to understand that. So when we think about work for peace by all means, that is not a worldly concept. That is a biblical concept. When we think about justice, well, justice never really existed outside of a biblical concept. Justice was who's got the most money. Justice was who comes from the right family. Justice was any worldly thing that you want to label it. But it wasn't what's right and what's wrong, what's fair, what is with the law and what is against the law. And freedom was unheard of. The kind of freedom that we experience on a day-to-day basis, even now, was unheard of. And you have to realize that that comes from Christian ideas. We wouldn't have had those ideas otherwise. So let me say this. If Israel had received Jesus with arms wide open, it is very possible Gentile nations would never have embraced the ideas of a just and moral society. If so, we as Gentiles would have lived in, in, in a society where death was a everyday reality. Cruelty was part of the world that we could have expected at any given time for a regime change and quite literally heads to roll. We could have expected that at any given time. And what I'm telling you is that that was part of God's plan to expand the gospel from just the Gentiles, just, or just Israel, all the way to the Gentiles. And it very much changed the course of history. It changed the world. So Israel's disobedience led to salvation for the nations. How much more blessing will their obedience bring? Well, let's think about that. If when they rejected, the gospel went out to the Gentiles and the way that government, the way that life was lived, everything about the world pretty much changed, how much more is going to happen when they actually do turn back to God? How much more wonderful things are going to happen? We can only imagine what might happen if the whole nation of Israel was to recognize Jesus as their Messiah. I saw this really interesting um, headline. I read just a little bit of the story, but I didn't have time this morning. Apparently, Poland, you may see this, Poland declared Jesus to be their king um, th- this past week. Now, it was a Catholic ceremony. They declared Jesus to be their king. They had over a century of, of, of being a Christian nation, so they declared Jesus to be their king. Can you imagine if the prime minister of Israel gives a press conference Monday morning and says, we as the people of Israel have recognized that Jesus Christ, who lived about 2,000 years ago, was our Messiah. He was our Redeemer. He was the one that was promised in the Old Testament. We are now a nation that follows Jesus. Can you imagine the upheaval? I mean, that would be, that's beyond anything that like we, we don't realize. They could nuke Saudi Arabia and not cause as much of a splash. That would be a different thing altogether, and we have to understand that. So when that happens, things are going to change. But also when that happens, God is going to move in a mighty way in that area. Things will be shaken up. So this peace and this global society that we know of 
when Israel comes out for Jesus, things will change. Things will change in a very big way. Okay, so Paul reminds his Gentile readers that they were grafted into an existing olive tree. Now, sometimes people find this to be a little bit confusing. There was an olive tree, some branches were broken off, wild olives were grafted in. So essentially what he's saying is that the, the, the Gentiles were these wild olive trees. They weren't planted, they weren't cultivated. What's the cultivating? The cultivating is the giving of the law. The cultivating is the worship. The cultivating is the temple. The cultivating is the prophets acting as refiner's fire for Israel. That was what the cultivating was. And so that is the true olive tree. That is what God has always been working on, and it is right there. And so what he's saying is that there were branches that were broken off. They were broken off because of unbelief. And then wild olives, so these countries that had not been cultivated, they had not received the word of God, they had not had prophets, they had not had the worship of, you know, in the temple, they had not had the sacrifices. They were wild olive trees, but they're being grafted into this cultivated tree. So he's done this. This has happened. This is what God has planned to do. And so Gentile Christians were grafted into the original root of God's people. And so regardless of what we might think, God has never shown his favor, like his mercy and salvation, to people based on their genealogy. He's never done that. And so this cultivative olive tree, if there were branches that were not believing in him, those branches were broken off. That's what Paul says. Some of these branches were broken off. What that means, that Jewish people who were not believing in God were broken off. They were broken away from this original tree. So Israel stumbled because they did not believe, but just because we come from a Christian family doesn't mean that we will be part of this holy olive tree. And so Paul says, don't you know that if you were grafted in, you could be, and, and, and God had already broken off natural branches, that you could be broken off as well. He's not telling an individual you can lose your salvation. What he is saying is that salvation isn't hereditary. Just because you come from a good family and maybe you know, your, your parents, grandparents, whatever, were Christians, doesn't mean that you don't have to make that choice independently. If you become an unbeliever, you will not be on that tree. You will not be a part of that holy olive tree that God is growing. And so that's what this is about. He's saying that it's not hereditary. So the Jews, just because they could descend from Abraham, that didn't include them in salvation. They were going to have to believe. And us, just because we come from Christian families, doesn't mean that we're just automatically saved. It is through faith. He's still going back and preaching this very same thing, that it is by faith that we are saved, not by works lest anyone might boast. So, that's what he's saying. God has not taken anything, um, this final ideas here, God has not taken anything away from Israel. He will keep the promises he has made. Okay, so the, the fall of Israel, the stumbling of Israel, it is temporary. Um, it is not going to last. There will come an end to that. We don't know when that will be. I believe that it's coming sooner rather than later. And I really, really I don't like watching the news, but I really hope I'm watching the news today that things begin to change because it's going to be something that will be dramatic. I believe it'll be something that will be seen. So Israel goes so far, or Paul goes so far, so far as to say that all of Israel will be saved. Now, can you imagine that when the whole country turns to God? What would happen there? So there's coming a day. The Bible does say this, and, and, and Paul actually gives a um, gives a quote from this um, from from the Old Testament. He says, "The deliverer will come out of Zion." He will banish ungodliness from uh, Jacob. This is uh, verse 26, 27. And this uh, will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. There's coming a day when God's going to clean house in Israel. For now, they are still at odds with God. But God never takes away a gift or a calling he has already bestowed. So that's where he says here in verse 29, for the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. In other words, he doesn't take them back. 
He gives it. He does not take it back. God made a promise to Israel. He's not taking that promise back. He has made promises to us, and he's not taking those back either. It is worth pointing that out. And so we have to remember that. So Israel will walk the same path as the Gentiles. They will recognize their sin. They will seek Jesus for a Savior, and then he will save their souls. Every person who is saved by Jesus is saved according to the same gospel. And this is the idea that brings Paul into this time of worship. So when you look at at, at verse uh, 33, he says, Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. And this is what I mean by everybody's playing checkers and God's playing chess. Okay, so think about this for just a minute. God's wisdom is beyond anything that we can know, and his decisions are always perfect. No one can instruct God or put him in their debt. All things come from God, and we should worship him forever. Okay, so this is in the conclusion part. But anyway, here's the thing. We could say simplistically, before God created Adam and Eve, he knew that he was going to need to save us, and he prepared Jesus. That's simplistic, but it's oversimplistic. Because what Paul has just told us here is that, yes, God knew that we were going to need a Savior. He prepared Jesus Christ beforehand. Um, The gospel was, was there far before the foundations of the earth. But even still, God had a chosen people. God sent his Messiah through the chosen people. Remember, Jesus was an Israelite himself. And God knew that the people, the chosen people, would reject Jesus as Messiah. And so in order to to strike jealousy with them, but also to expand mercy and grace to the whole world, God preordained that they would reject their Savior so that he could proclaim the gospel to the nations. And 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 so remember, remember all the way back to the promise that God made to Abraham. God told Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed through you. He didn't necessarily say at that time, through you and your descendants' hard-headedness, but that's what he meant. And so now they're hard-headed. They're not receiving Jesus at this time, so we're all hearing the gospel. We're all receiving the gospel. But there's coming a day. And and let me tell you, the the, the moral and just society that many countries experience today, that that is rooted in the word of God. That comes from a proclamation of the gospel, which has happened. I'm not saying that those countries are still Christian, but there are some Christian principles that are still there. Okay, and so... When the time of the Gentiles is done, as, as Paul explains it, he's, God's going to bring Israel back to him. And what Paul's saying is just imagine if there was incredible blessing when God's chosen people rejected him, how much more blessing is there going to be when God's chosen people accept him? That's what he's saying. Now, he can't even put into words what that's going to look like. He doesn't even attempt to put into words. At that point, he breaks off into worship. And that's what we should do because we have to recognize that at at this point, that means that God not only knew that we were going to be lost and need to be saved, but God knew that the best way to do that was for one people to be stubborn and a whole other people to receive. And then once that people had received, then to open it back up to the stubborn people so that they could be saved as well. You see what I'm talking about about chess? You can't watch people play chess on TV. Because you don't know what they're thinking. You don't know what the, the seventh move is going to be, although they do. And what I'm telling you here is that God has known from the very beginning. These kinds of thoughts really need to break the box that we have God in. You know, we have God in this box. We'll get what God can do, what God can't do, what God knows, what God maybe doesn't know, all those kinds of things. We need to break those boxes. We serve the creator of the universe, and he knows all things. He tailored a plan that would reach the globe with one message before there was a globe. In your life, 
you are going to be rocked by surprises. You're going to be stunned by things that happen. And God knew it all along. Where should we look for our guidance? Where should we look for our strength? Church, let me tell you, we've got to look to God. He knows. And He has a plan. Just like He had a plan to make sure that you would be here this morning, to be sure that you would hear the gospel, that salvation comes by faith alone, He has a plan for everything you'll ever face. Every problem you'll ever face. He has a plan for the times where the problem is your making, and He has a plan for the time that the problem is beyond your making. He has a plan. He has a purpose. And let me tell you, trusting in God, no matter what, what we see in the coming days, if you're just observing the world and you say, oh my goodness, this world's getting terrible, God's got a plan. If you're looking at your own life and you think the walls are falling down, God's got a plan. And we have to trust Him. There could be no better plan for salvation of the world than what God has given to us. And let me tell you, there is a perfect plan in place for your salvation and for your life following salvation. Trust Him, depend on Him, let Him guide you through the way. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for this time to gather together. I thank You for Your Word. And sometimes it just really knocks us over with what we see. We know that Your knowledge is beyond our understanding. Your plan is all-inclusive. And my God, as I stand here this morning, I realize that Your plan included me. And each person sitting in this room realizes now that Your plan includes each of us. What a wonder. What a joy. I pray that we can grasp just how wonderful this is so that when we go out of this place, we cannot keep silent. We have to tell about what a wonderful God we have. Father, let us be your voice on this earth. We know that there are a lot of people that they have eyes, but they don't see, and ears, but they don't hear, but there are some. There always will be some that will listen. I pray that you put us in their paths so that we can tell how wonderful you are and what a great Savior we have. And it's in that Savior's name we pray. Amen.